Welcome back to another episode of Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history, fantastic stories, and intriguing personalities of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. Welcome back to 1945. Last week, we dropped in on post-war Nebraska and a great prep football season. We time-traveled to a November East-West matchup and saw little guy Gothenburg upstage the city slickers from Creighton Prep and claim the mythical state title, or at least a share of it. If you missed that episode, check your feed, because we are ready to head into the winter season of 1946 and the chase for the not-mythical-at-all state basketball tournament championship. Just like the fall, we will be traveling to see an interesting East versus West matchup, and we will watch the effect on the prep landscape of a new conference, the Nebraska Big Ten. The Big Ten football champs from the fall, the Scottsbluff Bearcats, were given one-third of the state football title from the Lincoln paper, and now they are chasing the whole thing on the basketball court. Our time travels this week will take us to another East-West matchup, but this time it's early in the season. It is December 19, 1945, and the winter season is only two weeks old. We are on Vine Street in Lincoln at the NU Coliseum, which will host the state tournament in less than three months. But tonight is hosting a cross-state battle between two undefeated teams who hope to cut down these nets in March, Lincoln High and Scotts Bluff. Just as the two schools have a football rivalry that survived World War II gas rationing and all those miles between them, they also play regular season basketball in the 1940s. In fact, they play twice a year on back-to-back nights. They will play tonight and tomorrow night, both games at the Coliseum. It's quickly apparent that tonight's game is a good one. The two teams are huddled up as we drop in. The third quarter has just ended and the scoreboard says things are knotted up 17-all. You'll remember that the football game last fall between these two ended deadlocked. That can't happen tonight as the two teams take the floor for the fourth quarter. Someone has to take control. For the first three minutes of the fourth, the defenses continue to have the upper hand. Then a link reserve named Dick Means comes free in the corner and nails a long one, and that seems to open the floodgates. Lincoln's quick guard, Jack Diffenbaugh, puts together a string of buckets and free throws. Then the big link, 6'6", Bob Pierce, puts in the final two, and the home team has a 28-21 win. And Lincoln High has a strong claim to be number one when the first ratings come out after Christmas. But first, they'll have to repeat this effort 24 hours later. They will, an almost exact repeat. Defensive game within two points entering the fourth quarter. Lynx put together a few buckets in a run and pull away for the win. Scott's Bluff will have better luck in Omaha the next two nights when they continue their road trip and take two games from Boys Town before crossing the state to head home. As winter settles in and 1946 begins, the prep basketball races really heat up. The World Herald's McBride counts 133 teams still unbeaten when he issues his first ratings in early January. Two perfect squads led the Class D list, the Avoca Cardinals and the Glenville Bulldogs. In Class C, McBride puts Omaha Holy Name on top, with West Point and 1945 state champ Lincoln College View right behind. 
Lexington is given the early lead in Class B, with Seward and Broken Bow in tight pursuit. The defending champion Sydney Maroons, yeah, they wouldn't change their nickname to the Red Raiders until the late 1960s when the community got tired of maroon moron jokes. Uh, Sydney has knocked down the ratings with a loss to Curtis. Curtis is still playing in Class A in the 1940s. In fact, 1946 was the enrollment high point for the state's agricultural boarding school in Curtis. It seems strange now to see little Curtis on the football and basketball schedules of North Platte, Lincoln Northeast, Hastings, Boys Town, and even Omaha South. But the school has more than 400 students in its heyday. From 1911 to 1968, Curtis was dedicated to educating high school students in the skills of agriculture and home economics. In the late 60s, the program was shifted from the high school level to the college level and became a part of the university system. And eventually, the tiny public school left in Curtis became a part of the Medicine Valley Consolidated District. But back to 1946. As January moves on, in Class A, Lincoln High and Creighton Prep are both undefeated and seem to have separated themselves from the pack. In the Big Ten, Fremont scores a couple early wins and draws some ratings attention. Scott's Bluff's only losses through mid-January are those to Lincoln High, and they also are steadily climbing the ratings. Basketball draws most of the attention in the winter of 1946, but high school wrestling continued throughout World War II although in an abbreviated state. In February, Omaha Central hosts the state tournament. It's basically just a triangular. Central, South, and Tech enter full teams. And Little Bellevue, remember from last week they were playing six-man football in the fall, sent one wrestler. Central would claim the title. Is the Eagles' third straight and seventh in eight, eight years. It was a bright spot in an otherwise weak year for the state's oldest high school. The purple and white basketball and football teams on the hill languished at the bottom of the Missouri Valley and inner city conferences all year. Central junior Dave Mackey won his second straight individual championship at 155 pounds. He would claim his third gold medal the next year. Sophomore Frank Giglito of Omaha Tech won his gold medal at 95 pounds. He would be a three-year champion before his Trojan career was over. District basketball in the 1940s was a win-or-be-done proposition, mostly. In Class A, there are four districts to produce eight state qualifiers, both the champion and the runners-up of districts in Omaha, Lincoln, Fremont, and Scotts Bluff would be added to the state tourney bracket. In Class B, though, it is eight districts for eight spots, and there are certainly no second chances in Classes C and D, where just over 400 teams will battle it out in a series of elimination rounds for eight slots in each bracket. Two weeks before the state is to set to start, uh, Class C districts begin at 16 different sites, while the Class D carnivals, as Greg McBride likes to call them, kick off at 28 different gyms. Regionals the next week at 16 more sites will pare the field down. How about this for a dream episode of Suiting Up Varsity in the future? I will travel to all 60 of those tourney sites from 1946 and explore any of the gyms left standing. I know I've been in the Clay Center gym that hosted a Class C district in 46, and this August, I saw the scoreboard from that very gym on display at the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame. 
Omaha Holy Name, which is eligible for a Class C district and ranked number one in C by McBride, chooses, as it has done in the past and is allowed by NSAA rules in the 1940s, to play in Class B instead. Without the Ramblers, East Nebraska Conference champ Elkhorn is left as the top-ranked team in the Class C eliminations. But this isn't to be a kind year to rated teams. Of the nine remaining teams on McBride's top ten Class C list, only three will survive to play in Lincoln. The carnage begins quickly with Elkhorn in the Fremont District when the favored Antlers fall to Oakland, and then West Point Guardian Angels is beaten by West Point High. The Cadets, who had been rated early in the year before late, struggles will also knock out rated Arlington and on a on two last minute Paul Sorison baskets in the district final dodge taking the bracket the McBride had rated the toughest of course as modern fans we aren't shocked to see that the district closest to the World Herald's headquarters would be rated the toughest are we but there's a bigger lesson here in our day of multiple wild cards, we sometimes devalue district competition as a stepping stone or a stumbling block, but not a key part of the big show at all. In the old system, district tournaments were fantastic displays of basketball, and those high-pressure games were often the season's best. West Point won four games in four days in the Fremont District in 1946, beating three rated teams to host that trophy. I hope that the 46th District Championship statuette has a prominent spot in the cadet trophy case, even though they will fall in the regional final to Stanton the next week and end the winter one game short of the state tournament. That district title is certainly still a great accomplishment. Other rated teams will fall around the state in Class C. Wakefield will lose at home to Stanton in the semifinals. The Culberson Bears will win their Western District but lose 36-35 in a regional heartbreaker in Ogallala to the Chapel Buffaloes with a trip to Lincoln on the line. Gibbon, Wilbur, and Humphrey St. Francis will also win regionals to qualify, as will the Lyman Wildcats and the Beaver City Bearcats. Bearcats? Yes, a school named Beaver City chose a made-up animal as its mascot because, well, I don't know. <laughs> the 8th Class C team will be the favorite at the state tournament. It's Class D, number one Atkinson St. Joseph's, also using the NSAA rules of the day to move up a class. St. Joseph's cruises through its Class C district and dispatches El- Elgin in the regional, 41-32. to The Blue Jays are the only undefeated team in the Class C state field. That field took two weeks, 24 different gyms, and about 150 games to determine. The Class D process is even more arduous, with 28 districts ranging in size from 7 to 12 teams each. To get a picture of it, let's follow the path of just one, the Avoca Cardinals from Cass County in the southeast part of the state. They're McBride's number eight team heading into the postseason. The Cards draw a first-round game in the 12-team Eagle District. The seeding process in 1946 is, is foreign to the modern fan. At first, it seems random. But then, one notices that teams who get first-round buys not only lose often in the second round, but they are often predicted to lose by McBride. I think that the top teams were given a warm-up game in these districts, and that was thought of as an advantage then, but I've never seen the seeding process explained or written down, and I wonder if it may be varied by district. 
no matter. It still means that the Cardinals will need four wins to capture the district. They'll begin with a 49-28 win over the host Eagle Eagles. There, that name makes more sense. Uh, They'll follow that with wins over the Elmwood Pirates and the Greenwood Trojans. In the final, they'll face Douglas High. Also, the Eagles, winning 27-18. It was their closest game of the tourney and their fourth win in four days. That was Friday night, March 1st. By the next Thursday, they were back on the road in Tecumseh for a four-team regional bracket. The six eastern regionals were four-team affairs, while the two western matchups had just two teams. The Cardinals will survive their first-round game with Holmesville, drilling the Tigers 34-16 and setting up a regional final with Talmadge and speedster Dan Vullertson, who we heard about during their undefeated football season last week. It will be another close one, but Avoca will punch its ticket to state with a 27-23 nail-biter. All it took was six wins in 11 days at two different neutral sites. Joining the Cardinals in the Class D tournament will be the Hildreth Greyhounds, the Ong Red Devils, the Elba Blue Jays, and the aptly named Beaver Crossing Beavers, that was Beaver City before it was the Bearcats, along with the Sunflower Eagles and two sets of Panthers from Wayne Prep and Venango. Wayne Prep is a school run by the teacher education system at Wayne State College. It's sometimes called Wayne Hahn High School. Sunflower is a small school just outside Mitchell, which was created in one of those old-time railroad town stories where the original town of Mitchell up and moves a small distance to have better railroad access and what remains becomes Sunflower. The school was open just outside Mitchell all the way until 1976. Wayne Prep and Elba are the highest rated teams to survive the district gauntlet, entering, uh, having entered the postseason at number two and number three in the state. Millard, McBride's number four team, lost to the Ewing Bobcats in the district final. Yes, that's Millard, which is now three Class A public schools as one Class D public school. Avoca and Ong, interstate rated number eight and number nine. In the two bigger classes, McBride's preseason picks and ratings are much better. All the favorites, and even uh, most of the games, go the way he says they will. Holy Name is top-seeded in the Bellevue District at 19-0 and sweeps through the bracket with ease. Holy Name had played in Class B the previous two years, falling in one-basket state semifinal losses. Lexington and Seward also enter districts with undefeated records. The Minutemen and their 20 straight victories will host a bracket, while the Blue Jays, sporting 18 in a row themselves, will travel to the Sutton District. Lex has a tougher route, though, uh, but it dispatches Broken Bow by 11 in the semifinals and then outlasts football champ Gothenburg 32-28 in the final. Seward beats Geneva to punch its ticket. Central City, Ord, Crete, and Schuyler also qualify. Mitchell grabs the last spot in the closest district final of all, downing that defending state champ Sydney 24-22. In Class A, Omaha favorites Prep and Benson claim state berths and will meet in the district final. Remember, Class A qualifies the champ and runner-up from each district. Prep, McBride's co-number one with Lincoln High, was pushed to the wall in the semis by Boys Town, 33-32. In Lincoln, form holds easily as Lincoln High and Northeast advance to the final. In Scott's Bluff, the Big Ten champ Bearcats and McCook make the championship game, 
in a district that featured more scoring than the other brackets. In Fremont, the host Tigers and Norfolk score mild upsets over Big Ten East co-champs Columbus and Hastings. That sets the state field. The district title games in Class A will be for pride, the big trophy, and most importantly, seeding at state. The Western teams continue to light up the scoreboard in the finals. Scott's Bluff significantly brighter than McCook as the Bearcats claim the crown at home 63-47. Back east in Fremont, defense is more the story as the host Tigers allow Norfolk only four points from the field in a 40-18 trouncing. In Lincoln, there will be no statement win for the upstart as Lincoln High takes the crown 33-25. The Rockets led in the third quarter until the Lynx guard, Al Berquist, arched one through from near midcourt, according to the game story, and co-number one team never gave up the lead after that. In Omaha, we will have our biggest surprise as Benson rolls over Prep 39-22. Rod Dalby scores 16 to lead the Bunnies, who reversed two close regular season losses to the Junior Jays and stake out ground as attorney favorite. As tournament week hits Lincoln, the Journal and Star's uh, Cy Sherman is editorializing to remind Lincoln residents that their support of the tournament through ticket buying and game packing is important to keep the spectacle going and in town. 1946 is the 20-year anniversary of the state tournament in the University of Nebraska's Coliseum building. An amazing stat, 20 years already, considering that the event will still be anchored at that great on-campus facility 30 tournaments later in 1975. Someday soon, we will feature that first at the Coliseum 1926 state tournament, where off-the-court behavior was so scandalous that the leaders of the Omaha schools decided not to return for several years to avoid corrupting their impressionable young people. That will be a racy suiting up varsity for sure. I'm not sure how we would react as modern fans to walk into the Coliseum on the opening Thursday of the 1946 tournament. Would we be excited to find all the tournament games for all four classes hosted under one roof? Or would we be disquieted by multiple games in a state tournament being played side-by-side simultaneously? Games were played on the varsity court, the freshman court, and the stage court, always two at a time, and sometimes all three courts going. That didn't leave the kind of spectator space, especially on the stage court, that we would be used to as modern fans. After the tournament, as attendance figures came in, showing signs of a post-war boom, Sherman would use his column to call for ideas to improve the spectator experience at the event. As the crowds gather Thursday afternoon for the first round games, the record gate receipts of the district and regional tournaments might be a hot topic of conversation. The papers report that despite the typical nasty weather, the qualifying tournaments smashed the $42,000 record from 1945 with a total topping $70,000. The Lincoln District moved to the Coliseum for the first time, drew over 4,000 people on its own. We can listen to the people discussing this, but we'd be smart to do it while finding a seat. If we arrive as the first games are starting just after noon, we can split time watching the two class jumpers, Omaha Holy Name and Atkinson St. Joseph's, cruise to early wins in classes B and C respectively. 
At 145, we will experience a state tourney triple header as the Class D bracket kicks off with Elba and Venango on the stage. All Class D games through the semifinals are relegated to the stage, and the two finalists will earn their way only to the freshman court in a state final game to be played at the same time as the Class C championship is going on on the varsity floor. The state bracket will go to form on day one, with four teams entering as the top seeds, Wayne Prep, Hildreth, Ong, and Elba, winning their first round games. There are some near upsets, though, as the Panthers of Venango almost derail Elba in a 35-34 heartbreaker, and Avoca nearly claims a seventh straight postseason win in a 39-37 loss to Wayne Prep. Things are more settled in Class C, where two top seeds fall on the first day. Stanton fell behind early against Gibbon, but then slowly climbed back into the game for a 34-29 upset of the Buffaloes. The Lyman Wildcats also upset the dope, behind Chuck Carson's 12 points, besting Chapel 33-32. In the two-seeded Catholic schools come through looking like favorites, as Adkinson St. Joseph's beats Wilbur 34-15 and Humphrey St. Francis dispatches Beaver City. 46 to 30. The biggest surprise of the first afternoon is in Class B, where Crete runs all over the undefeated Central Six champions of Seward. Kenny Nyhart is part of the story, scoring 15 for the winning Cardinals, but the rest of the tale is Seward's colossal collapse at the free throw line, missing 21 of the 24 free shots they took. They don't keep records for free throw futility, but that might just be a state tournament worst. Herb Ringenberg hits two big shots late for Lexington to keep them from the same upset fate as the Minutemen top Central City 22-21. There's no such drama for the other undefeated, Holy Name, as they run away from Schuyler 40-27. The game of the day may be Mitchell's 30-29 squeaker over Ord, where the Tigers' Ron Priest hits a long swisher in the final 10 seconds. The tourney crowd will still be buzzing around us about the Crete upset when the Class A slate finally gets started at 3 p.m. On the varsity court, the bracket's most undistinguished team, Norfolk, fourth in the East Big Ten in the regular season and soundly defeated by Fremont in qualifying, decides it needs a little strategy against Omaha Benson. The Bunnies fresh off a dismantling of defending state champion prep in the district final. Coach Les France puts his Norfolk Panthers in the deep freeze, holding the ball in what the World Herald will describe as the use of psychology. One problem with this approach, a team has to find a way to get ahead to really pile the pressure on the favorite. Benson was described by the newspaper as on edge throughout the game, but they could also be described as Ahead. The Bunnies hit a bucket and a charity toss in the first quarter for a 3-2 lead and added a free throw in each of the last three quarters to outpace Norfolk 6-4 in a score sounding more like 1913 than 1946. In Game 2, the Big Ten champs from the high-scoring West, Scotts Bluff, will battle the Mideast champion, Northeast Rockets. If fans are hoping for more scoring, they get it as the Bearcats tear out for 13 in the first stanza and lead by five. 
The scoring tide switches sides after that, though, as the Rockets put up double digits in each quarter to pull away for a 47-36 win. The late game will follow a similar theme, as the Western team, this time McCook, will produce scoring, just not enough for themselves, as Lincoln High sets a tournament scoring record in a 59-29 route, led by Bob Pierce's 16 points. In between those Capital City triumphs, Fremont makes the biggest mark of the opening day, assuring Class A of a new champion. Creighton Prep, just a week ago, the co-number one in the state, the inner city league champs, and unbeaten in 19 straight games, is now the loser of two straight and ready to check out track gear. The Tigers handle the game at the free throw line, hitting 11 of 14. High scorer Tom Milliken leads the effort, sinking eight on his own as he scores 14 total to key the 36 to 30 upset. Fremont wasn't the Big Ten champion, but the league's rugged regular season gauntlet obviously helped them prepare for the tournament. That ruins the wise guys' year-long plans for a prep Lincoln High showdown. And attention will instead turn to the other side of the bracket, and the Benson Northeast semifinal matchup becomes the hot ticket. The Rockets are hoping to recreate the magic of the school's first state tournament in 1942 when they rose all the way to the final and created an all-Lincoln affair with the Lynx. The game will go back and forth all the way, tied 16-16 at half. Benson star Rod Dalby takes over in the fourth quarter, though, scoring eight of his game-high 16 and keying Benson's 42-31 to 31 win. Lincoln High will control the other semifinal with its defense as they win their 25th in a row, sending Fremont home 31-23. Six-foot-six Bob Pierce again leads the link effort, cleaning the boards and throwing in a game-high 15. In Class B, Crete's upset-induced excitement will meet its match with another undefeated power. As Holy Name rides the hot shooting of Joe McGill and Al McMahon and puts up 21 in the third quarter for a 17-point lead. Crete shuts the Ramblers out in the fourth, and Thursday hero Kenny Nyhart heats up again on his way to a 20-point night, but it isn't enough to catch up and stop Holy Name's unbeaten march to the title game. Lexington settles that game as a battle of undefeateds with a 27-21 win over Mitchell. Modern fans wouldn't find a Class C all-parochial school matchup unusual at all, and that's what we would see in 1946 as St. Joe's of Atkinson and St. Francis of Humphrey produced big wins over Lyman and Stanton. Class D sees a pair of mild upsets. Dwayne Freeman specializes in jumpers from the left side for 16 points as he keys Hildreth's win over top-seeded Wayne Prep, 41-34. The Red Devils of Ong dispatched the other top seed, Elba, 47-29, behind their fast break and the hook shot work of Curtis Olson as he totals 25 points all by himself. In Saturday's final, Hildreth coach Joe Sagavati is well aware of the Red Devils' quick strike ability. With six minutes left and the Hounds leading by five, he will call for the stall game, and Ong won't get another shot, as Hildreth, which wasn't in the pre-district top ten, takes advantage of the 1940s rule that gives them the option of taking the ball out of bounds instead of risking a free throw after they're fouled. It is Hildreth's second state crown in three years and the fourth for Coach Sukavati, who won two with his hometown Swanton Jackrabbits in the 1930s. The Hounds and Sukavati will team up for another state crown in 1949. 
Ong will never make it back to the state tournament, and the school closes its doors in 1967. As Hildreth is icing the victory on the freshman court, Pat Miller and Eddie Scott are igniting Atkinson St. Joseph to the Class C crown on the varsity floor. The two will combine for 23 points as the Blue Jays complete a perfect 27-0 season. St. Joseph will repeat the title for local businessman turned coach Tom Slatterly in 1947 and then never win another state tourney game in four tries before the school closes in 1970. Their 1946 finals opponent, St. Francis, on the other hand, is still going strong 70 years later, winning the 2016 D2 state title just last March. In Class B, Omaha Holy Name will so easily handle Lexington that historian Jerry Mathers wondered if the Ramblers shouldn't have played all the way up in Class A instead. Led by All-State guard Joe McGill, the Omahans will run away 48-26. McGill will go on to be a longtime Creighton University basketball booster and a prominent advocate for the homeless and addicted in his hometown until his death in 2014. In the next 20 years, the Ramblers of Holy Name will be a Nebraska basketball power, winning four more titles and finishing runners-up five times before 1966. The school closes in 1989. Lincoln High's triple scoring threat of Dwayne Grady, Al Bergquist, and Bob Pierce will be too much for Rod Dalby-led Benson in the Class A final, played before an overflow crowd of 9,000. Those three will trade off scoring for the Lynx as they slowly grow their lead despite Dalby's 15-point individual effort. The Lynx will finish a perfect 26-0 with a 36-30 win. The All-Nebraska basketball team of 46 is far from a consensus. The World Herald chooses Holy Names McGill, Highs Burquist, and Benson's Dalby, along with Prep's Jack McMillan and Scott's Bluff's 18-point-a-game scorer, Verl Crook. The Lincoln newspapers agree on Burquist and Dalby, but lean on state tournament efforts in rewarding Crete's giant killer Ken Nyhart, Fremont's top gun Tom Milligan, and Prep's Gene Wickenkamp. Mathers will go along with the World Herald's list, but that small school softy can't re resist replacing McMillan with the high-scoring Avoca Cardinal Jack Hallstrom. Mathers, who loved to see scoreboard numbers changing fast, named Hallstrom his player of the year for averaging 21 points a game. Notable on the Lincoln Honorable Mention list is McCook's football all-stater Leo McKillop, who was the bison lone bright spot in that thrashing they took from Lincoln High at State. McKillop will continue his amazing junior year as the prep spotlight moves from the basketball court to the track cinders. We'll get out to the track next week when we bring you another episode of Suiting Up Varsity. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at SuitUpVarsity, or see us on Facebook at facebook.com slash SuitingUpVarsity. When you get there, you can ask questions about Nebraska high school sports history. Leave us suggestions for future episodes. Tell us what you think about the modern wildcard system versus the old all-or-nothing districts. Or answer this episode's trivia question. Omaha Central struggled in 1945 and 1946. After those years, when would the Eagles next win a state football or basketball title? 
We hope to hear from you soon. Also, if you like this podcast, take time to rate us on iTunes or wherever else you find your podcast. It helps others to find our show. This has been Suiting Up Varsity, Volume 2, Number 2, written and produced by me, Greg Mays, technical and research assistance by Tate Mays, helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai, and as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network, copyright 2016.